Welcome to Full Release with Samantha B. Hopefully, you'll experience one by the end of this. I hope, like me, you're enjoying these lazy, crazy days of summer. Here's hoping you can convince that uncle or cousin of yours who's still holding out on getting the vaccine to suck it up so we can all touch each other's faces on July 4th. Speaking of July 4th and independence, this podcast is about my freedom to speak to who I want, when I want, about whatever I want to talk to them about. For example, today, I'm going to be talking to the one and only Padma Lakshmi. So we'll have a little something for your taste buds and your earbuds this week. I'm joined, as always, by my producers, Svea Baron-Reinstein and Adam Howard. Now, Podcast gals, I'm sure like a lot of people during the COVID era, you did a lot of food indulgence while you were locked down. What was your biggest guilty pleasure food of the pandemic? Do you have a guilty pleasure food? Do you feel guilty about anything? And will you stop binging it now that we've started to come out of it? Guilty pleasures. I don't feel guilty. I feel like everything that was done was done out of necessity. I agree. <laughs> I I, agree I started making cinnamon buns a lot, oh, and that's wow. like my new food thing, and I love that as a party trick. They're yeah. really good. Mm -hmm. That's good. But I don't feel guilty, and there were definitely a couple times where at like 10 o'clock, I was like, I'm just going to make them now. Mm -hmm. And in <laughs> yeah. an hour and a half, we're going to have a delicious treat. Oh, so you made them and you ate them at night, or you put them in the refrigerator yeah. and had them for breakfast? All no. of the above. You're like uh, everything, yeah. all versions of that. <laughs> Adam, you still, did you do that? Well, I was going to say, she still has a lot of her youth left. So I feel like you can eat a lot and still it will yeah. affect you the same way. Because yeah. I do have a lot of regrets because I just, you do. Went, I just went really hard and I put on a lot of weight. Okay. And I, I loved every minute of it. But mm -hmm. I mean, my neighborhood is sort of up and coming and there's not a lot of great food options, but we discovered this really incredible local pizza place. And it just became mm. this weird routine where every Friday we would just like get pizza from this place. It would be, and it became kind of like a pizza Friday thing. Mm -hmm. But then I started to feel weird when, you know, they know you there. And I always feel weird when I get unhealthy food and they're just kind of like, oh, look who's back. And they start making those little comments. <laughs> and you're like, all right. Back I feel, again so soon? Exactly. Twice in one week? I feel very judged. And then they have these amazing, like, ginormous chocolate chip cookies they started selling. And I oh, I used to indulge myself. I would get, like, one. And then it became two. And then I started getting four. And literally, okay. the like, the woman, when she was, like, putting in the bag, like, made a comment, like, four, huh? And I was just like, I need to rethink my life choices, I think. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> So we've stopped oh. going as much, but uh, it's still there. Here he comes again. <laughs> Today is going to be a good day for business. <laughs> Do we have enough chocolate chip cookies for you? <laughs> oh, no. I wish you would call in advance. <laughs> uh, I, well, I always, I always eat a lot. <laughs> I definitely found myself, and I don't feel guilty about this, I can't eat a lot at night because I'm old and every food keeps me awake. Mm. So if I put like too much protein in my stomach, I'm awake all night just <laughs> digesting. So I actually <laughs> tend to midday load. I, <laughs> I do a midday load and, uh, and I hope that I don't stay awake from it. But I definitely did a lot of practice cooking mm. for dinner parties of the future. <laughs> That's what I found that I did. And I'm still doing it because I made, I made a, I made a salad. I've become, I'm not even a salad person at all. Like I'm just not, but I became one pretty recently. I just was like, oh, fuck, I've unlocked the key to all salads. 
Like I nailed what's it. What's the key? Yeah. <laughs> the key is just having all kinds of shit that you throw in and three <laughs> salad dressings that you really, really like. Yeah. And so I have now three fave salad dressings mm. that I always have one of them on hand every week that's just in the fridge ready to be used. And then it will make these gigantic salads now. Everything's crispy and like <laughs> radishes and cut out snow peas and broccoli wow. chunks. Like just like they're just such an extravaganza of delights and herbs, loads of herbs. <laughs> and then I toss it with a salad and I'm serving it every single night. And the kids are like, I like salad now. And I'm like, wow. yes, because they like, did it. Too. I do too. <laughs> this is good. And then we're coming into summer. So that is not a story of indulgence, except that my salad dressings <laughs> are totally indulgent and they're just filled with like cream and <laughs> mayonnaise. <laughs> so in a way, but it was like, I definitely was like, we're going to have a party or something like when it's safe to have a dinner party or something. And I've got to unlock a few recipes that will be like fail safes for me. Mm. Like, you know how you have like a little back pocket. I was like, I got to change what's in my back pocket. Mm. I got to mix it up. So that was one thing that I really learned. I did a practice with a lot of salad dressings. I hate that I said all these things, and I wish we could erase every <laughs> no. single. I also learned how to make the best chocolate chip pancake of my life, which I've already talked about on numerous interviews, but I mean, I'm like stunned by how good it is. So I got like a whole, anyways, I'm never having a party because I hate parties, but I like have it in my head that one day I'm going to have a dinner party have again. To, maybe have and there will to be a different party. salad for every single guest. Probably the last dinner party I had was like in, when I still lived in Canada, which was like... 20 years ago. <laughs> it was your sweet 16. Yeah, because then I started having children. And then you just, anyway, we, oh, God. Oh, God. We're talking to Padma Lakshmi, and all I talked about was salad dressing. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. As a palate cleanser. <laughs> oh, well, we're going to talk about other stuff with her. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. But we have Padma Lakshmi coming up. And I swear to Christ, I'm not going to talk about salad dressing with her. That would be disrespectful. Joining me today is model turned TV star turned cultural icon, author, activist, Padma Lakshmi. Like most of America, you likely fell in love with Padma during her many years as host of the beloved cooking competition show, Top Chef. And since last year, she's been producing and hosting an ambitious new Hulu show called Taste the Nation, in which she exposes her audiences to the origins of diverse foods all over America. And what I'm sure is very little free time. She's also a goodwill ambassador to the United Nations and an artist ambassador for the ACLU. And, oh my gosh, she has a new children's book called Tomatoes for Neela coming out really soon. Clearly, we have some catching up to do. Welcome to the show, Padma Lakshmi. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. You look good. How's quarantine been treating you? Oh, it's been fine. I'm glad it's mostly, I'm glad it's over. How has it been treating you? You've been very busy. I have been busy. It was um, an informative and useful experience that I hope doesn't drag on too long, too much longer, <laughs> and that I never have to repeat, yes. unless I choose to yes. curate that differently. You know, <laughs> right? Oh, I like how you're. I like that you phrased it that way. Informative and useful. I agree with you. It was informative and useful for me as well. I never knew that I needed that information. 
but I'm glad I now have it. Exactly. You've traveled, you've been on planes. Well, I have been, yes, I have just recently. So I went in very, we can, you know, dispense with the Corona catch up very quickly. And then that way, you know, you'll know. Right, right. Because there's this perfunctory thing also in every conversation with people you haven't seen before Corona that you have to like, Summarize the experience and learn how the other person coped, Mm -hmm. hoping to glean something productive. Mm -hmm. But in very short detail, I, um, you know, spent most of the early quarantine from about March 13th to the end of August here in New Mm -hmm. York. And then I went to film under lockdown. The network flew Tom, Gail and I privately. So I didn't get on a commercial plane. I didn't know what that was like until um, recently when we just went back into production for Taste the Nation. But, you know, if I thought quarantine was bad, Top Chef filming during lockdown was really, really hard. Um, I'm so glad we did it because now we have the season Uh that's, you know, just aired. Um, But it was difficult. It was difficult for everybody. Mm. And it was, but nobody got sick, you know, touch wood. We were able to put all these people back to work. Mm-hmm. We did the whole shoot like normal-ish and not one crew member got ill. So, you know, that says something. Yeah, that's a huge accomplishment. I mean, that's a lot of like, te- I mean, even we, and we're a smaller scale production probably than that yeah. because your your shoots involve travel and all of that stuff. But like we're testing all the time. So I feel like our noses are just, we have just like nasal calluses now and we're just <laughs> like, my nose can handle anything. Now's a great time to get r- super into cocaine. <laughs> now's my, now's my time. <laughs> I'm going to make that happen. Oh I'm so God. excited. Oh God. Okay. So I really do want to talk to you about Taste the Nation. What made you decide to make this show and how did you sell this show? I'm sorry. I'm just so fascinated by the product because I love, I love what you're doing with Taste the Nation. So can you describe it to our audience members who maybe aren't familiar with it? Sure. Because you're traveling around. Sure. You're talking to people in their communities. I first was going to do a cookbook on immigrant food. Mm-hmm. And shortly after the 2016 election, um, and that was sort of, you know, something I was working on, you know, a couple of years ago. And then, but since the 2016 election, as you know, I became involved with the ACLU and they had me come on for immigrant rights and women's rights. And also as an immigrant, just to talk about my personal experience and stuff, which I did. And as the, mm-hmm. as the presidency wore on, I got more and more deeper into this issue because there's all this fucking vitriol coming out of Washington from people like Steve Bannon and Steve Miller and all those ugly people. The Steves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I knew as an immigrant that that wasn't my experience, that that wasn't the experience of people I knew or any of the communities I lived in. And so, and I also got sick of telling my own story. So I Mm -hmm. started going deeper and hearing about other people and I befriended um, this legal scholar who was one of their lead counsels at the ACLU, a man named Lee Gallant. You may have even had him on the show before. Oh, but he's been on the show before. He's amazing. He is fantastic. He's my idol. And so, you know, I started talking to him and getting the nitty gritty about, you know, his different clients that he represents, at, mm-hmm. you know, at our southern borders and everything else. And I even got to go to the Supreme Court to hear him argue an immigration case for a Sri Lankan man. And luckily, actually, RBG was still alive. And I, that was the last time that I 
was that the last? That was the last time I saw her alive. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I started thinking about this and I wanted to do a show on immigration. I was doing the book. My producing partner said, we need to combine these two because people are used to you speaking in the language of food in television. And also food is a great icebreaker to talk about a lot of these serious things. And, Mm. And so we combined the shows or the show in the book. And then we had to go sell this thing. And literally, like, nobody wanted it. I pitched it oh, to... great. <laughs> I, I pitched it... Oh, great. You know, I, I pitched it to, like, seven different networks or streamers, okay? Mm-hmm. And everybody said no. And one person just kept saying, we're still thinking about it, like, months later. And we're like, how long? You know? Right. And then um, one person, one major streamer even wrote me, like, a really long email about why they said no, which, you know, I... Oh. Great. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. um, but I'm really glad they said no, because then at the end of that, Hulu was interested in talking to me and I just didn't want to fly out across the country because I live in New York and, you know, these yeah. meetings are done in L.A. and you got to go out there and your kid stays with your nanny. It's just a whole thing. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not flying, but I'll take a Skype call. And because I had gone through the experience of being told no so many times, I just pitched the show that I really fucking wanted to do. I said how I wanted to be on camera because I don't I didn't think you saw women, you know, being allowed to be their full selves in the way that men are on TV. You know, there's different mm-hmm. rules as you know as well for women on TV than there are for men on TV. And mm-hmm. so I just sort of like vomited everything I actually wanted to say without any filter. And they bought the show. And I'm so thankful they did because they are, for me, have been the best partners that I could ask for. They're really supportive. They help me when I need. And I got to do the show I really wanted to do, which has never happened to me before in my whole damn career of, you Mm -hmm. know, being in television, which is now over 20 years. And so I'm just thankful that I finally got the chance to do the show from the ground up, like I want, you know, this is obviously a very editorial piece. It is an incredible experience to be like, hey, wait, you want the actual, you want the actual me? Oh, (laughs) well, great. (laughs) I can do that. Am I, is that allowed? (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy. But okay, you, we were on full frontal. I mean, we did a piece about, we did a piece about undocumented people working in kitchens and how, you know, the restaurant industry is built on the backs of undocumented people. Yeah. And the work that they do, the the um the innovation that they bring, the recipes, the energy. It's such an unsung, like it's just it's just an unsung force in New York City restaurants and restaurants all over. So it's like, it's really exciting for me that you get to talk about all of this on your show. It's like incredible. I know. And thank you for doing that piece, actually, because I could at least point to that piece as, you know, that that there, you know, is this phenomenon, we should be talking about it. And of course, then now with Corona also, like, So many restaurants Mm -hmm. have gone under and all those undocumented people in those backs of restaurants, they didn't Mm -hmm. get any of the benefits because they're undocumented. So, you know, all this, all these checks that went out and all that stuff that they didn't share in any of it. So, and they often are the same people who don't have adequate medical care. So you can imagine Mm -hmm. with COVID. What do you think the long-term impact of COVID will be on rest? Because so many places are shuttered. Some places have opened, which I've been very, my spirits have been very buoyed to see restaurants 
opening, like with with greater innovation, with a great with, with an equal emphasis on like having you know takeout available when they normally probably would not have done that. It's actually because they I have think to. It's really great. They have to. What do you think about the future of the restaurant industry in a city like New York? I think it will always be there. Here's why: there, there's an immense need for that kind of cafe society, or you know, New York right. depends on its restaurants in a way that I think no other city in America does because Mm -hmm. of how expensive real estate is. And the fact that most of us don't live in apartments that are that big for entertaining, Mm -hmm. you know, people go out to eat much more. They have small kitchens in the city and stuff. So it's always going to be an outsized, integral Mm -hmm. part of the life of, of New Yorkers. So it will survive. Now, what form it survives in is another thing. I hope that we take this opportunity to correct some industry wrongs Mm -hmm. that really need addressing, like making it a more family-friendly industry because the hours are shit, right? Everyone wants to go to lunch and dinner when they do, so you don't get out until one. But just sort of sliding the shifts around to make it more equitable Mm -hmm. for people to, you know, think about... Because also there's this thing of, you know, there's this fallacy that things can cost nothing, that restaurants are greedy, and they're not. You know, labor costs and insurance and perishable costs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go to a restaurant, they have to have everything on that menu available for you to eat. But what if there's only 10 people at that restaurant that night? You know, food is a decomposing thing. And so like food costs, I think people are unrealistic in this country about food costs. And I think Mm -hmm. the restaurant business needs to charge more. I know that's not a popular thing. They need to charge more for going out. And, you know, Mm -hmm. yes, you'll have those 99 cent dumpling places, but it's like, do you really want to eat like a ball of meat in dough that costs 99 cents? You know, like. What kind of meat is that? But I'm saying people do want to do that. But like you need to charge more for everything because the reason restaurant businesses went went under is because they were paying with the money they made today, the invoices from 45 days ago. I mean, this is pretty like in the weed stuff, but but that's what they have to do because the margins in the restaurant industry are so low. So you need to raise those margins to have a buffer of a slow period or an emergency like what happened or, you know, Mm -hmm. a cook getting sick or some force majeure. And most restaurants don't have that safety net. That's why there's so much turnover of restaurants um, in urban cities, but especially in New York. Um, I think, though, because food is the thing that immigrants bring with them, you know, the knowledge of their own food to Mm -hmm. wherever they go, that is one of the biggest ways that immigrants make money when they first come to the States to survive. So I think there Mm -hmm. will always be restaurants for that reason as well. I think the restaurant business is an ever nourished industry because you always have new waves of people from different parts of the world that, you know, can't speak the language, don't have a lot of capital, start a business don't have the certifications or qualifications needed. So the thing that they do know how to do and they don't even have to speak language for is to cook their food if they're good cooks. And that is, you know, a big part of immigrant life, which is why also, you know, looking at immigrant life through food is a very good thing, in my opinion. 
Useful thing. Useful. It, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you have said before that everybody should work in the service industry at least for <laughs> a little while. And I agree with you 110%. Everybody should have to work in a restaurant for one year <laughs> yeah. of their life. It is, it teaches you, it teaches you so much about like human nature and like the just what what actual labor goes into things it teaches and humility you about hard work it teaches you humility yes it teaches you everything you need to know that you can bring to the rest of your life like patience patience i draw upon the 10 years i spent fully waitering in every aspect of my life as an adult wow i can't wait for my children to get restaurant jobs because <laughs> i think it can form you as a human being anyway I agree. I agree. Our two cents. I mean, I'm going to start with Krishna just picking up her laundry off of the floor right now of her room. And then, That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> just putting the laundry in one central spot yeah, yeah. is a great, also a great learning experience for the rest of your life. It's incredible. The episode of Taste the Nation that you filmed in Jackson Heights was that was that a special experience for you? It was an awkward, to be honest, it was an awkward experience. Was it? Yeah, because really? I think I couldn't be objective about that episode. You know, my seven okay. year old was cringing all over again about <laughs> like, you know, instead of take your mom comes to school, then it's like your mom comes to your show, you know? Oh. <laughs> and okay. so mm-hmm. like there was a little bit of that. And, you know, there's there's fun, charming, intelligent Krishna. And then there's, I'm not going to play ball Krishna. Um, So, you know, that could have been an issue too on the day Mm -hmm. of filming. Like the women in my life are as complex and unpredictable (laughs) as is possible to be. And they're very much like each other, my daughter and my mother, Mm -hmm. in fact. But so, you know, I was worried about it and I didn't know, like, you know, this stuff, I've grown up with, so I can't tell if there's in, there was enough in the episode to make it interesting. Like, I was worried about okay. that, you know. And so I knew that other members of my family who were at that dinner, they'd be fine and they'd be great. But, mm-hmm. like, I didn't know if it was enough. Like, Jackson Heights is not really very attractive. <laughs> um, and so I was like, how are you going to make this shit look good, you know? But, you know, it's just like you just have to be truthful about how you film. And then it looks what it looks like. And there's a beauty to that. But because right. it was my old neighborhood and my funky weird family, you know, I was just like, (laughs) so Serena um, Roma, who is my awesome, was my awesome showrunner. She's since gone on, but Mm -hmm. um, to other things was my showrunner did an awesome job. Like on that one, I really went to her and I said, you know what, this one you're really going to have to play lead on because I can't. Right. I, I don't know how, I mean, I don't even know how people direct movies and are starring in them, you know, because it just was like an awkward thing that I, that I hadn't, that I didn't have the confidence to feel safe about. So like that episode, I really relied on Serena to be my barometer of things. Cause, cause I would have said like, I would have become that tween self and be like, who cares? Right. You know, (laughs) I hear you so hard wearing so many hats on that show. What do you think is the what, what do you think you learned from from doing all of those jobs all at once on something from like taking a show from its total inception like from being the person who pitches and creates to creating a whole season of television what were you 
the best at that you didn't expect to be good at? And what were you bad at that you thought you would be really good at? I can tell you what I how I feel about my own. Okay, life. well, you'll have to it's tell me fun. right after then because I want to okay. know. Okay, so so what I was surprised at what I was okay at because I mm-hmm. had never done it before is interview people. You know, I'm I'm not a journalist. I don't have mm-hmm. a talk show or you know any kind of show where. I'm the one who has guests on and I'm interviewing them. I mean, judge's table doesn't count on Top Chef, you know. Right. And most of these people are not camera ready. They, you know, haven't been mm-hmm. on TV. If they have, it's, you know, far and few between. But, like, they're not used to cameras and, and some of them don't even speak English, you know. And, right. And I'm asking them to share their life stories with me. I'm asking for a great amount of intimacy in a very short amount of time. We embed ourselves in whatever community we go to for about a week, you know, mm-hmm. but like I'm not with all of the participants all the time. And sometimes I am, I'm very often meeting them that morning. And so mm-hmm. I was really worried about the interviewing part of it because I knew that the show relied completely on our participants' willingness to open up because otherwise we didn't have a show. You know, the whole point of right, the show right. is to give the platform of the show and the platform that I have to these people to tell their own stories in the way that they see fit, to speak for themselves, you know, um, to counteract all this vitriol. And the show was really created for red states, not blue states, you know, because I Mm -hmm. thought if I could show who these people are, our neighbors, our fellow Americans, even if they have funny names and accents or whatever, you could see a little bit closer to, you know, Mm -hmm. the middle of the line. So I was I was happy and pleasantly surprised that as many people were willing to open up and share as much as they did. You know, so many people mm-hmm. come on the show and they cry. And I think it's not because I have superpowers. I think it's literally because nobody's ever asked them. And every people just wanna they wanna tell their stories. And every life is compelling. That guy that brought you your takeout. The woman who, you know, is washing the office as you leave um, and the four star chef as well or the dance teacher of little Peruvian kids Mm -hmm. or, you know, all these people like everybody's life is interesting and compelling. You just have to be willing to listen and find the story. And I'm sincerely interested you know I would be doing this for free don't tell who but like you know really like I this is what I do when I was a model I was so lucky that I had the resources to travel all these places I would have never been able to afford after college as a financial aid kid no way you know but what I would do on my off time is I would go to the food markets you know I would meet the cab drivers I would ask them where to eat and so I I really do enjoy that. And I also, P.S., don't eat like I eat on Top Chef the rest of my life. Like, that is what I do on Top Chef. But when I'm not on Top Chef, I'd rather go to um, a street food stall than go to a five-star tasting menu of 14 courses. I love that, too. Don't get me wrong. I value it. I appreciate it. I respect it. But it's just mm-hmm. I'm I'm more likely to go to the taco stand, you know, off the back of that some guy's truck in, in Oaxaca. Sure. Like that that is what turns me on. And so I'm glad that the that the participants did open up. That was a huge relief. And not that I didn't know really if I could crack. I mean, until this, I have like interviewed a couple people that like 
book festivals, you know, <laughs> or like the sure. 90 seconds yeah, to yeah. buy or whatever. Sure. The thing that I'm not good at is delegating. Like I'm still, um, like I'm very concerned about the food. You know, we got this show greenlit and we did everything and it's a food show too. And I'm like, we don't have a culinary producer, <laughs> you know? Oh, <laughs> like, right. I mean, I get that right. it's not Top Chef and we don't have to whole, have a whole department, but like it is a food show, you know? So then I brought right. on, you know, somebody in my office, Anthony, who is, you know, my chief of staff. I'm like, you have to be the food producer now, you know? And so he's our, right. he's our associate food producer and we were taking notes. And then we quickly realized like in one of the early episodes, some um, field producer had found this restaurant because of Yelp. And I was like, we have to vet it a little bit more. It was fine in the end, but you know, like I, I'm sitting on TV, you know, judging people's food for 15 years. If I'm putting somebody on my show, it needs to be the best of whatever there is, or the story has to be compelling or whatever, but I'm saying it is a thing, you know? Yes. So I'm still a little tense about like making sure we got the right shots because of my time before this as an actor, I am a continuity OCD bitch on set. Yes. Oh my God. Right. Because you also, you're having food. So you're having bites out yes. of food and drinks have yeah. to be at the right level. Everything has yeah. to match. I mean, we're not, we're not, um, we're not like crazy about it because it's not a scripted mm-hmm. film or TV show. Right. So It's okay, but I want to be able to use a part of the conversation from earlier. And it's just distracting if suddenly the burgers have eaten and whole eaten. You know, it's just like. Totally. So, so nobody's thinking about that, you know? So, so then I'm just like, you know, we have to, we have to shoot the beauty shots because we want to keep the crew low. And I don't know how inside baseball you want to go, but like, I believe that the fewer the people that you take with you Mm -hmm. into an environment you're trying to capture, the better, because every pair of footprints, you know, changes the dynamic. So on our show, we don't have so many cameras. Like on Top Chef, we have like 15 cameras. On this show, we have like one, two, maybe three, Mm -hmm. a third on sticks if we can, you know. So like we have to shoot the food being made. Like when you see those beautiful shots in the pan and on the flame and stuff, that you you need to get close to there. So I and the person I'm cooking with can't be there. So it's just technical stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And also because I've been doing television and specifically food TV, you know, gosh, for 20 years also, I have very fully formed ideas about how food should look and not look. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with you. (laughs) I still want the food to look beautiful, you know, because also it's of my view that you don't have to go to a fancy restaurant to have Mm -hmm. beautiful food. But, you know, certain kinds of foods like latkes or most Indian food or, you know, is not very attractive. Mm -hmm. Listen, I, I... it's, right. it's my PTSD from the cafeteria during middle school. Right. Yeah, you want the food to look tempting yes. <laughs> so that people go like, oh, I understand why you're doing an episode about this place, like about this food. You, right. you want it to look like it's going to smell like something great. Right. You want people to want to dive into it. So, that. so that's what I have to learn to let go of and, you know, let the people. And when we get a bigger budget, hopefully, you know, we, we are nominated, by the way, for six, no, I'm nominated for six Critics' Choice Awards, three for Top Chef, but three for Taste the Nation, too. 
That's amazing. Yeah, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I didn't even oh, know about these awards until I got nominated, but that's great. There you go. Um, that is great. But, you know, hopefully when we get a little bit bigger budget, then we can hire an, an actual food team. But until then, it's just me and Anthony on the hood of the car outside. You know what? I have to tell you, I hate to I hate to break this to you, but like no matter how big your team is, you're always going to be in there going, I don't think this meatball looks delicious enough. Yeah. We need to put a beauty light yeah. on this meatball right, right now. Here. Yeah. This needs more sauce. And also, like even I was like even anal in post-production and in mm-hmm. color correction because raw shrimp can look really gross. Yes. Yes. And I was like, yeah. you have to color that up a little bit so it looks more normal. And there's right. no way to get everything in the picture looking perfect with ambient light. And a lot of times we don't have any lights. We're shooting in ambient light. So the fact that the show looks as good as it does is is amazing. I mean, it's really a testament to Hunter Hampton, who is my DP. And gosh, I've had hundreds of cameramen and women work with me over the years. And I have to say, I got lucky with Hunter, not only because of his eye, but more, I have a tacit kind of communication with Hunter. Mm -hmm. So I can see him out of the corner of my eye and he doesn't need to say anything to me. And we just kind of feel each other kinetically and we just move to favor each other without, you know, not, not looking at the woman's eye that I'm talking to. Yeah. 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 So stuff like that. That's great. Like a shorthand with someone yes. is worth, it's worth so much. Like it's like a priceless relationship. Absolutely. Just, you're also like, as you described, but you're dealing with people, you're asking them to be so raw and tell you their whole story. And you don't want to be like, stop talking for one second. Can you come over here with like, we just want to get like in yeah, on this. On her tear. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I think if you oh, look God. a little, the light will reflect off that tear. Just like, purring, just like a glint off the tear. tear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that unspoken communication is, oh, it's kind of everything. Okay. So do you, do you feel like food can bridge ideological divides? It, like if you, if you, if you break bread with someone, can it lead to like finding common ground? Yes, I do. As, as corny as that is, I really do. Mm-hmm. Here's what I think food can do. It can bring people to the table. Okay. Right. I think right. if Kim Jong-un said, I'm mm-hmm. going to show you this killer kimchi recipe. <laughs> <gasps> you know. Oh my God. Can you, what are you going to do now <laughs> when Kim Jong-un is my number one podcast fan, <laughs> as you know, and now he's going to, I'm here for <laughs> he's it. going to be like, yeah. let me just, you got to come here. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that's, oh I think that's what it can do. Okay. Like in no mm-hmm. other universe. I mean, probably because he's so old. I would have, I'm always, I always try to be polite to people and gracious because there's always something you can learn, even from the most, you know, devastatingly backward people. But like, for instance, on no other show, you know, would I have sat there with Maynard Haddad from the El Paso episode and, you right. know, been able to talk to him. I could only talk to him about his right. burritos because. You know, they were great. Right. And like, I, you know, I had a lot of people on that episode, his right wing guy whose father, grandfather actually snuck over as an illegal immigrant from Mexico as a Syrian immigrant. OK, so this dude is like his last name is Adad. And uh-huh. he 
has this H&H car wash, which has this little restaurant off this car wash, which is completely run by Mexicans who cross the border every day from Juarez to El Paso. And he still votes Republican. So I just let him talk because I wanted people to understand what kind of Americans live among us, you know, all of us. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was really interesting for this reason. And his employees love him. And he still, you know, thinks that he's he's a Trumper. He's going to vote for Trump again and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And all these people wrote to me or said, you know, she really didn't take him to task and challenge right. him on that. I said, no, I did. I told him your whole business depends on Mexican people. And yet their lives are being so adversely affected by the stupid wall. Like, what is up? And, you know, mm-hmm. the, what I say to that is like, this guy has voted for a Republican since Nixon. And right. he's 80-something years old. And mm-hmm. me and my little flare jeans from New York, you know, sitting there <laughs> with his space heater outside of the car wash, I am not going to convince him of anything. Right. But what I can do is just give him the microphone and let him tell us who he is without trying to tell him who he should be. Because once I start doing that, then Maynard Haddad is going to shut down and we're not going to see all his crazy, you know? Right. Later, I did talk to him and it kind of devolved into like, you know, discussion about Warren and this and that, because that's when I was there that early. But I I just think like it's important to see each other. And I think food Mm -hmm. can do that. You spend the whole entire day there. And so you have a lot of off-camera conversations as well as your on-camera conversations. Did you try to limit your off-camera conversations just so that, like, did you try to, you know, because you're like, well, let's not, I don't want to totally go down this road with you. Like, no, I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I have a lot to do. So like when I was not talking to him outside the restaurant, I'm inside talking to his mm-hmm. daughter you know, who is almost 60 and also has her own perspective. Like she had her graduation party in Juarez because that was the cool thing to do, you know. Okay. Yeah, stuff like that. But I mean, I I do talk to them. I I talk to them because I Mm -hmm. really do want to know, you know, because even if it's unpleasant. And I I mean, listen, a basic Google search or uh, a whirl on my Instagram or Twitter will tell you what my political views are. You know, this is not. Mm -hmm. So so they know, you know, what I'm coming in with. And and so I do talk to them or I'll talk to them about stuff that has something to do with it. I'm I'm more comfortable talking to them after we finish Ah. because then, like I don't I don't want them to say something that then they don't say it on camera. You know, I want to, I really want to have the conversation on camera if I can. I do spend mm-hmm. though, before I start, I spend private time with them. I ask to build into the schedule, private time with each guest, just, you know, a few minutes, 10, 15, whatever, where, where we're yeah. not mic'd and they, nobody else is in the room but me and them. And they can ask right. me any questions that they want. They can tell me what they're worried about. Like if they are worried about appearing like they're racist and stuff, you know, or whatever. Like they, that's just mm-hmm. for them. That time is for them to just ask me anything and also make me explain to them what the show is about. It's easier now because we have season one to point to. Right. But, you know, nobody knew. And I would just tell them with great honesty and humility, like, look, it took me a shit ton of time to get this show made. This is your mm-hmm. story. Just tell it how you see it. There's no right or wrong answer. You know, there's no agenda or right. points I have to hit. Um, you know, 
and that's it. Like, just so that they know the ground rules and that they're comfortable. And I say, this is my show. I give you my word. You know, I'm not out to get you. I just, you know, I want to get you in all your selves. Like, if you're you're crazy, you'll look crazy. But if you're not crazy, you won't look crazy. Right. You know? (laughs) I like that you do that. I like that you sit down privately with people. That is not something that I've never, I've never done that. I've always done it. I've always like had that conversation with people, but it's always kind of like when we're seated and then I'm like, all right, this is, this is how it's going to work. Like if you, if you want to just express yourself and this gets edited. So if you didn't like the way you said something, you can restate it 15 times if you want. You can get it right for yourself just so that you feel like you totally accurately expressed yourself so that you don't walk away and go, oh, I wish I would have said it differently, which we all wish we could do all the time. When you're recording, you can. I say that to them too. And I say, I'm also telling you to warn you that I myself will be doing that. You know, <laughs> which is right. So just feel free. Right. Yeah. I tell them that. And I tell them, you know, it's a 30 minute show. I'm going to spend several hours with you. So you can do the math. We'll only need a portion of it. Right. But, you know, right. if, if you've really never been on TV, and you've been... It's a weird experience. It's a weird experience for people. I am happy... That big lens. Yeah, I am happy to report that, you know, I have kept in touch with many of our participants and um, just also to make sure they were okay, you know, after COVID, mm-hmm. so many of them have mom and pop restaurants and right. they are all so happy to be on the show. They're all right. so, so thankful that I featured their community and that they got to tell who they are in the way they saw fit. You know, it's that simple. That is great. Do anti-immigration hardliners ever realize the irony in the food that they love, that they like so many, that Americans eat more salsa than ketchup, (laughs) but don't have any recognition of (laughs) where salsa really comes from? Exactly. Do you remember when Ted Cruz got kicked out of that restaurant? I think yes. we should replace Columbus Day with that day. Right. <laughs> you know, I, right. that that was right. just perfect. Um, and then, of course, the, mm-hmm. later he goes to Cancun, right? Yeah. He's such a dick. Good for him. <laughs> and, then blames, and then blames his Daughter. daughters. Yeah. It's great. I mean. It's a cool guy. It's just crazy. I don't know. You are a prolific writer. <laughs> Long before I ever was on TV or had a TV show of any kind, I had maybe your first cookbook and it's great. Thank you. You've written so many books and you have another book coming out. Like what in the heavens? Yes. Okay. Tell me about tomatoes for Neela. Okay. So tell us about that. T- it's, it's a short book, so you'll be able to read mm-hmm. it in one sitting. Um, okay. It's a children's book and it is based very loosely on um, a little story that I used to make up for my daughter Krishna every night. She came home from her dad's once and said, mm-hmm. you know, I had pomegranates at my dad's. I want pomegranates, mom. And I said, it's July. What are you eating pomegranates in July for? And mm-hmm. I realized, you know, because we live in this land of plenty where you can get everything, kids don't know when anything grows. They don't know about the seasons right. and blah, blah, So I started telling right. her, you know, you only eat pomegranates when it's cold outside, when the pumpkins come out, when we wear our heavy jackets, when the leaves are changing. Right now, you need to eat tomatoes. And I would tell her about, you know, and take her to the green market and buy all different kinds of tomatoes. And we would make little sauces that were really easy to make. And then we just 
freeze court containers because they really do taste better. Mm -hmm. You know, they really do. They really do. And they're better for you. They have more nutrition when you eat vegetables and fruits in their, you know, season. So mm -hmm. this lady who has a really high-powered job at Penguin Viking caught me at my Pilates studio and said, I would really love to talk to you about publishing a children's book. And I said, well, I have this story laying around. And will you look mm -hmm. at it? And we made some edits and we added some other things about the grandmother. So it's an intergenerational story of three women who are connected, a mother, a grandmother, and a child. They are connected through cooking. And it talks about where our food comes from, when things are in season. Mm -hmm. It talks about the importance of writing recipes and writing things down and also having a book to collect your family recipes Mm -hmm. And also there's back matter with a couple of recipes and, you know, some stuff about farm workers as well as resources to talk to your children about that. It's a lot. This is great. <laughs> okay. All right. I love it. So, okay. So tell me, so you have tomatoes for Neela. And so are you, are you writing or did you write a book that is a companion to the Hulu show? I so am. So are you working I'm, on recipes? Yes, I am. So because okay. as I told you, the project started as a cookbook project. Yeah. So I'm mm -hmm. still working on the cookbook version. Okay. So that will be coming out, you know, I think next year at the very earliest, but I also guest edited an anthology, you know, those best American series, like when you were in college, you mm -hmm. probably best American short stories or something. Yep. They do a best American travel writing and they oh. always get somebody you know special to to edit that and so a lot of great people like Bill Bryson and Tony Bourdain and stuff have done it and so they mm -hmm. asked me to do it in 2020 you know which is a really interesting year for travel yeah <laughs> Mm, yeah. Interesting was, year for travel writing. Was, All of it was like, will we do that again? I was, Where should we go? I was like, sure, of course. This is, you know, because I was hugely flattered to me. This is like a huge prestigious thing. And I'm like, wah, wah, 2020. You're killing <laughs> me. Why no one else wanted to do it? You know, but <laughs> they started sending me submissions, you know, in January and February. And I, I must have gone through, gosh, like several dozen, like 80 pieces or something. And the only rule is that it has to be about travel. Right. And it has to be published within the calendar year. And so that anthology okay. of really fantastic literary writing is coming out in October of this year. Mm -hmm. So Tomatoes for Nila will come Great. out at the end of August and the best travel writing will come out in October. What big trip do you have on your horizon? Do you have just like a fun, like non-work, just like, I gotta go. We're gonna go on a big ass my, trip. Yes, I do. Somewhere. I do. Because I love that. If it's safe, I think my daughter and I mm -hmm. are going to go to Europe. Fuck it. We'll either go to Rome or Paris or yeah, Madrid, okay. one of the three. I want to go to Madrid because she's working on her Spanish at school. She wants to go to Rome. Mm. But um, we often take a spring mm -hmm. vacation once a year for a week where we go to Paris. We've done it for like, I want to say, eight of the, her 11 years of life. And we recently switched to Rome. So now we'll see. But I'm going to do like a big, you know, fuck you trip where we mm -hmm. just you know, act like two bourgeois yes. kids. <laughs> eat everything. Yeah. Just eat just, everything. Yeah. Go all everywhere. The, all the corny stuff. Pictures you everywhere. Know, the Tower, the, you know, Mickey Mouse ears. It all. Yeah. And then I want to do that with a grown up as well without my daughter. <laughs> you know, where it will be less corny. Yes. But much more decadent. 
Yes, decadent and just like intimate, yes. beautiful dinners. Yes. Oh, eating at midnight, all that jazz. That sounds nice. Room service. Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, room service. Oh, my God. I just forgot that room service exists until I know, this moment. I know. Oh, oh, okay. All right. Wait, you have to tell me, though, what was the thing that oh, yeah. you were good at and what was the thing you weren't oh, good at with your show? Okay. Well, I think that I was bad at. I'll tell you, I'll start with what I was bad at because I definitely found the most challenging thing I think about making a show for me is being a manager. I found that really like I'm, I just wasn't mentally prepared for that part where you're like, oh, there's a lot of production stuff that has nothing to do with the part where you're on TV. Or writing the jokes, like yeah. Performing, making jokes, like thinking about fun ways to do this, picking an outfit. Like, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of like actually the really the guts of the the guts of the thing are like, oh, you have all these, you're, you know, people you're working with all of these people and there's like, there's there can be there can be conflict or disagreement there can be like all of these things you you have to look at like the fairness of your workplace and you're always kind of like addressing those kind of like internal management things that I was not used to at all because I came up in comedy and performance and you don't like I never really was like I'll be a middle manager like let me just <laughs> <laughs> like I don't have any skills I don't know how to do that I don't know how to mediate things or like kind of like check a lot of just very technical production type boxes. And so that I really, really, really have struggled with. And I think that I got, I think I've gotten better at it, but it's not intuitive. Like people go to college for that. And, and so I, they should, you know, yes. And they should, <laughs> yeah. and that's great. And they do a much better job than I have done. But I, I I work really hard at it. I do actually put a lot of thought into it. And I try to be, I, I try to think about it a lot. And it occupies a tremendous amount of brain space. So that part has been the hardest. And I know that's really like abstract what I'm saying, but it's not though. It's not. It's exactly like my thing about like the tight shots of the food and the thing, you yes. know, it's like that kind of stuff, yes. like a million details that I never thought about. It's the same thing. Yeah. It takes a lot of psychic energy and it's actually like a hundred percent worth it. And you get better at it and better at it and better at it. And then you are bad at it again briefly. And then you kind of like crawl your way out of a mistake that you made. And you have to you have to be a leader when you don't feel like it. Right. When you feel like low and you think you did a bad job, like you personally did a bad job at something or like you failed, you still have to get up and go, hey, let's do it. <laughs> like you <laughs> – yeah, you still have to – you really have to rally. Like you can't be, you can't just go like, oh, you can't be like, I failed at something. Let me wallow. You actually have to dust it off so quickly and move forward. The The way that I think about it is like that you can't celebrate your victories for too long and you can't wallow in your failures for too long. So you actually have to just keep it moving. And that's hard to learn how to do. Just keep it moving. Just keep it moving. Like if you get flack for something, you just you just keep going. You just keep going. Actually, that's great advice. I'm going to hear your voice oh, in good. my head being like, just keep it moving. Just keep it just moving. Keep it moving. Yeah, yeah, it is. Just keep it moving. It's an exercise in stamina, actually, more than anything else. So that was 
the hardest thing that I learned. And then the, I think maybe like the best thing, the thing that I'm actually good at is I think I have really good instincts. I think like learning to trust my own instincts has been great because I don't think that I had the opportunity to do that until I made my own show. And then every time I really trust my inner voice, I am usually quite correct. And that's great. And that's great. Like being allowing yourself to be like guided by that inner voice feels really good. It's like learning how to listen to yourself. I don't know. No, listen, <laughs> I say that to, I have a couple of young women in their 20s and 30s that I mentor. And I say that to them. I say it's it's like a muscle. And I say, you know, mm-hmm. you really have to stop and talk to yourself in your head and be like, do I want to do this? What is it doing for me? Is it, you know, working toward the other things I say that are really important to me? No, then let it go. Mm-hmm. But like have that conversation and it feels dumb. And it, But like over time, it'll be like developing a muscle. And it, I believe yeah. that so much. And I even say like, touch your forehead, touch your heart, oh. touch your tummy. Like, does your gut tell you you should do it? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's, that is great. And I love what you said before about how when you pitched this show, you just really laid it bare and you were like, fuck it. This is all, these are all the things that I want to do. Like this pitch comes from such a deep place. Let me just like do away with all the pretense where we're going to like talk about, you know, quadrants and like, we're going to talk about like all the digital applications and like what, whatever. And just like from my heart and my, like even my, my, uterus Mm -hmm. or whatever like this is where this show erupts from like so that the show pitch erupts from you rather than being like this like very technical kind of like reading your document (laughs) that you put together over six months of time and it's very curated and that's like the most exciting that's the most exciting work I think it's so gratifying, right? Do you feel super duper gratifying? And I couldn't agree more. Like that's literally what happened. I didn't ever think about it or describe it in that way, but it's true. It just erupted. And I do have big uterus energy. I will say I have real big uterus energy. So that makes sense. But that's also what the show is about a little bit. It's about being your full self as a woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, you know, just professionally as a challenge and like, no, I'm not going to wear that tight dress. No, I'm not going to wear those heels. I'm just going to wear my jeans and my T-shirt unless I feel like getting dressed up and it's appropriate. But really, no. And yes, I'm going to curse. And yes, I'm going to have swagger. And fuck you. Like, you know, yeah. because no, because that's, you know, until, I mean, other than Samin. Samin had, you know, Nostrat has such a great show. Yeah. But, you know, other than Samin, it's always like this white male swashbuckling dude you sure. know, biting heads off chickens and, and there's mm-hmm. time and space for that. I love that I, as an audience member, but I think there's also different points of view, you know, mm-hmm. and that's why shows like Kamau Bells are great. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. like he and I and Tony or Andrew Zimmerman or whoever could go to the same place and it would be totally different. Or Stanley Tucci has something on CNN and it would to- be totally different because we're yeah. totally different people and yes. we have totally different perspectives. And so... I think just to hear from different auteurs is Mm -hmm. more interesting. And I hope that that's where our industry goes because different, a diversity in auteurs means a diversity in points of view. And that's also Mm -hmm. what we need, not just on television. Yes. Oh, 
God, I'm so good to talk to you. Okay. Here's my last very most important question of the whole thing. What's the first thing that you ever remember cooking? French fries. <gasps> French fries were the first thing you ever cooked? By myself like, because okay. um, I was in India and I wanted to impress my cousins with something very American. <laughs> Like you did like the whole like deep fat fry, like a I peeled and sliced the potatoes. And then I heard somewhere you have to soak them in water so they don't turn Mm -hmm. color. But, you know, I just kind of went from there into a big wok with oil with a lot of water still on the potato. And I'm just like, fantastic. Just spraying hot fat everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Um, But that's the first thing I was eight years old and (gasps) it was in my grandma's house. Did you eat them? Yeah, we ate them. Sure, they were. They were edible. It's very dangerous. But yes, they were worth it. Yeah, like if you saw your own daughter making french fries like that at eight, you'd be like, stop. Oh, my God. Danger. She did. She did FaceTime me once from her dad's house. And she said, Mm -hmm. and I could hear, you know, something sizzling. She goes, Mom, how hot does oil have to be to fry chicken? And I was like, what? And so. Oh, my God. I said, where is your father? And she said, he's upstairs. But I told him he's not allowed to come down because I really want to cook it. Mom, I've done everything. I have the the chicken cutlets. I have the egg, the breadcrumbs, the flour. I have everything. I'm like, did you salt the flour and breadcrumbs? She goes, yes, I did, Mom. I'm like, (laughs) okay. I'm like, well, first of all, take a little crust of bread. And drop it in the oil. You don't want it too hot. You want it like medium hot because you don't want the chicken to be brown on the outside and raw on the inside. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm FaceTime frying chicken with Krishna. Wow. That was. Oh my God. And it came out really well. She did a good job. That's, you know what? FaceTime is because I've seen Instagram videos of you FaceTime cooking with your mom. <laughs> yes. And it's actually like a whole new. <laughs> well, this is also we're starved for content. It's a whole new frontier. Yes, yes, yes. No, like it really works. <laughs> thank you, yeah. It really works. Yeah. Oh my God. All right, well, thank you so much. Awesome to talk to you. It's so nice to always talk to you. I hope oh. it's over a glass of wine sometime soon. But if not, this is great too. So other people can listen on in on how brilliant Thank you, you so are. Much. I'm so glad you're oh, doing God. this. Congrats on the podcast. Thank you so much. Everybody watch this Hulu show. It's a hell of a show. God, this is what you were born to do. Okay. Taste the nation. <laughs> Taste the nation. All right. Bye. I got to squeeze in another quick break here. Ugh, I love her so much. <laughs> I do. Remember when she was on the show? Oh, she was great. Yeah. Anyways, she's awesome. <laughs> but you didn't even ask her about salad dressing. You know what? I'm, I, I hang my head in shame. I shouldn't. <laughs> I'm just not a person who like raves about salad dressing, except... <laughs> I almost want to just like make a salad for you and you'll understand what I'm saying. It's like it took me 51 years to get to salad. Like, <laughs> oh, yes. Restaurant grade salad. You could be the new Paul Newman. You could have your own. No. No. What's <laughs> my salad dressing? Be no. Be I wasn't planning to talk about salad dressing today. 
Never. <laughs> but I do have salad plans for later. Okay. So stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. I'll report back. Speaking of food, yep. uh, we know you're a big foodie yourself and mm-hmm. you love to cook. And yes. so we, we wanted to get your two cents on some of the most obscure delicacies out there in America. Okay. So we're going to tee up some names of some dishes and okay. you might have heard of them, but if you haven't, um, mm-hmm. We want you to guess what they are, and then I okay. will reveal the contents to you, and then you should let us know if you'd actually eat them. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. I feel yep. like if you've ever seen an episode of Chopped, you know what this one is. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Rocky Mountain oysters? Oh, that's testicles, yeah? Yes. <laughs> okay. I've never had the – are they different from sweetbreads, which I have had? Which they are, are like different glands mm-hmm. i've had sweetbreads i have don't think i've had rocky mountain oysters tell me all about them so apparently they're called prairie oysters in canada prairie oysters. i don't know if you've heard oh. that term either sounds good so the they are bull testicles uh, they are deep fried after being skinned yeah coated in flour pepper and salt and sometimes mm. pounded flat mm-hmm 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 i probably would try it it would be better for you not to describe it to me <laughs> In those terms. (laughs) No, just to not describe it to me at all would be, and I probably would eat it and find it so delicious. Like Mm. maybe with a sauce. I actually ate something the other day and I did not know what it was. And I was like, what are they? Oh, I was like, what are they? (laughs) God, it was really good. It was like beets and a whole bunch of like horseradish. It was really, really delicious. And it had these like really savory croutons. Mm. And I was like, what are these croutons? I love these things. And I was just like gobbling up these brown chunks that were all around the bowl. I was like, delicious. I got to learn how to make these. Did they make them with pumpernickel or what? There's a lot of oil on this. And then I went home and I looked it up and it was cow tongue. Oh. And I was like, huh. shut my mouth. <laughs> I'm not, not going to make that at home. <laughs> but I wasn't expecting to like yeah. gobble up tongue. Huh. Anyway, mm. for all the vegans in our audience, everybody's throwing up <laughs> right now. That one was for you. <laughs> please, uh, please accept my apologies for that story. Not pumpernickel. You're like so into the salad stuff. Straight. <laughs> like, you're just thinking push. you were their hero. Yeah, with like cow tongue croutons. No. <laughs> Oops. All Dead. right. All right. Have you ever heard or had a coolicle? A coolicle? A coolicle. Never. I've also just never heard of it how do you spell it like it sounds coolical coolical is it K-O-O. like K, yeah K-O-O. oh yeah oh is it like is it koala meat <laughs> no is it australian or something what is that i've never i've never heard of it is it where's it from i i don't know actually where it originates from but they're called kool-aid they're kool-aid pickles so it's uh, s- soaking pickles. dill pickles in a mixture of Kool-Aid and pickle brine. I'm throwing up. <laughs> Ew. But that does sound vegan. So That's vegan. That's Is something it? for everyone. There, it I might be. Kool-Aid cannot be vegan. <laughs> I don't even know what Kool-Aid really is. Like a, it's, no. Is it like There's fruit no punch way. adjacent? Yeah, it's like, fr- it's like powdered, powdered. Okay. I only associate okay. it with the mass suicide of Jonestown. 
Like the don't drink the Kool-Aid. Like that's the only I never I well, feel like Kool-Aid is And won't, stay you know? away from the pickles. We yes. just lost our sponsorship from the Kool-Aid now. <laughs> I just oh, associate it with no. Jonestown. I just associate it with backed up out of that wall. No, but instead if they advertise instead, <laughs> please associate it with full release. Oh, yes. Man. Much better. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. okay. What about Scrapple? Oh, Scrapple. Isn't so you had that in your travels? I've seen Scrapple. Isn't Scrapple like a, a, a sausage, like a kind of a pressed sausage of scrap meats? Mm. Kind Obviously of. Done. Yeah. It's it's like a mush of pork scraps okay. and it's combined with cornmeal, wheat flour, and buckwheat flour and spices. Okay. And like it's served in like a patty? Well, it's, it's formed into a semi-solid congealed loaf and slices of scrapple are then pan okay. fried before serving. It seems v- okay. extremely unhealthy. It may taste good, but it feels heavy. It's like, it feels like in my brain it's like spam mm. or something like a pressed something. Something <laughs> sausage adjacent. Not quite. Honey, you want to press something? <laughs> it's just, I would eat it yeah. for sure. I'm sure I've eaten, I've eaten a facsimile, like I've eaten something that was Scrapple-esque probably 1,000 times in my life. So sure, I would try. I haven't eaten it as defined by mm. the word Scrapple, but I have certainly You've had lower eaten. case Scrapple. I've had lower S yeah. Scrapple. I've had, it, I've had Scrapple that was so rustic, no one could even give a name to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. What about a Burgoo? A Burgoo. B-U-R-G-O-O. Burgoo. Burgoo. I feel like burgoo is a southern dish. Am I right? Uh, could be, yeah. I'm just guessing. Sure. Because there's like this dish that's just like, it's like you put a chicken in a pot and you put <laughs> rice in a pot and then you just melt those two things together all day. Not like, and it's just like meat that sh- falls off the bones with a bunch yeah, of rice. Yeah, this feels about right. I mean, so it's it's described as a stew uh, mm-hmm. similar to an Irish or mulligan stew. Uh, served oh. with cornbread and corn muffins. It used to be served with any, this is how it was described where I read this, mm-hmm. whatever meats and vegetables were available, including venison, okay. squirrel, possum, raccoon, and, ra- raccoon, and even uh-huh. game birds. Today, barbecue restaurants use specific meat in their recipes, usually pork, chicken, or mutton, uh, oh. along with spices and you know a unique flavor that any restaurant might have. So okay. it's like a meat stew. Where would you go and get a burger? Oof. It's, I guess like not one of our houses, restaurants, apparently. like obscure barbecue. <laughs> yeah, like oh, okay. kind of maybe like deep cut barbecue restaurants where they were like, okay. we we do everything, even burgoo. We just throw it all in the <laughs> pot, and then we're just <laughs> like, burgoo, eat it. burgoo Friday. <laughs> Burgoo's different. It's different. We only make it once yeah. a week. Let's be exactly. honest. <laughs> There's a uh, weird guy with a monocle who comes in, and he yeah, you don't want the burgoo. You don't want the burgoo on like Saturday because it's, it's already yeah. it's been sitting for a while. It's an old you want, burgoo. You want like Sunday, Monday burgoo and not Saturday. It's getting thrown out. All right. On Saturday. Last, <laughs> last but not least. And this one okay. holds a special. The won't touch it. This one holds a special place in my heart because they were very popular where I went to college. Mm-hmm. A garbage mm-hmm. plate. A garbage plate? I had never heard that of That I've never heard of. You had this in college? I went what? to college in Rochester, New York, home of the garbage plate. <laughs> garbage plate. It's just, it's so it's, many I, foods uh, on one plate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. The description here is crazy. It's like, it's a base What's of fries it? or home fries. Then there's a layer of macaroni salad and or baked beans. On top of that, you have a choice of two, cheeseburgers, hamburgers, 
red or white hot dogs. What? Italian sausages, chicken tenders, haddock, fried ham, grilled cheeses, or eggs. And then finally, on top of all of this, are onions, mustard, and a hot sauce. This is awful. <laughs> That's the one thing I don't want to try. Like, do you want to commit suicide? <laughs> you can just. What is that meal? It's a garbage plate. It's the yeah, meal of meals. Oh, like for a hungover person, maybe. Wow. That makes sense. This seems like a hangover food. Oh, my God. Where you just like Rochester's put something in me. finest. <laughs> Garbage plate. I mean, sometimes we have like, oh, it's an, like all leftovers night. And we're like, it's garbage night. <laughs> and we just do every, yeah. everything that is like right on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the we burgoo. Clean it out. That's burgoo clean night. Out. That's burgoo bur- night. <laughs> night at the B. Jones house. I can't say that you put any examples on this list that are like, gotta try gotta it. Try. That sounds incredible. Like, I would and have probably, but none of these are like, oh, it's just <laughs> salad dressing, which I, as you know, I love. Oh. <laughs> So sorry about my tongue story. Oh, so many vegetarians are throwing up. I'm sorry, Svia. Did that upset you? I held it down. I held it down. Okay. All right. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's time for me to go make a garbage plate. It's always time for a garbage plate. Always time for garbage plate. So I hope you liked our podcast. If you did, let us know in the comments if you didn't. Well, just consider hate listening in the future. Seriously, though, please rate, review, and subscribe to Full Release and Apple Podcasts. And keep sending your feedback and questions to fullrelease at zambi.com. It might even be featured in a future episode. Tune in to Full Frontal with Samantha B. Wednesdays at 10.30 p.m. on TBS. And if you need, my God, if you need even more, Zambi. There's always additional Full Release on Stitcher Premium. And we'll see you next Tuesday for another Full Release. This podcast is brought to you by Earwolf and TBS and was produced by Adam Howard and Sphere Baron Reinstein with research provided by Noreen Malik and IT and technical production provided by High Tech. It was edited by Julia Fott and it was hosted by me, Samantha B. Enjoy your garbage plates. Irish potatoes. Irish potatoes. That's your mic warm up. <laughs> Irish. <laughs> Try these Irish potatoes. They're quite delicious. <laughs> Mouth-watering Irish potatoes. (laughs) Mouth-watering Irish potatoes.